If you remember, we started uh, 2019 with a series on rest, and we jumped out of the Gospel of Mark, and we talked about God's theology of rest, the design for Sabbath, and I was brought in at creation and continues even today. And as I've, I've been looking and, and praying, working through the scriptures, I'm um, speaking at a conference this week and um, came across yet another passage that speaks to this. And I thought, well, why don't we revisit that even this morning and see how we're doing? So often we, we give a sermon series or a talk and then we just kind of keep going and we keep the plate spinning even as a church and we don't loop back around and say, Hey, how's it going midway through the year with kind of this goal we said we would have of having more and more rest in our lives? And so I wanted to revisit this uh, topic because um, we are designed by God and God's design for us is for our good and for his glory. And when we embrace that design as much as we can in this broken world, uh, we receive benefits and blessings from the Lord. And uh, as I begin this this morning, I, I think about our bodies. We work and we build up our diet. Uh, we're good about building up our knowledge. Um, we can often use our gifts and skills really well, but... It, within the church, we aren't always so great at talking about our, our emotions or our mental health and how all of that ties in together to make us a whole person that God created us to be. And so I just wanted to take a, a brief aside before I really dig into this this morning and just say, you know, you may have seen in the news about a man named Jared Wilson, a pastor in California. Um, he's a pastor uh, at a larger church and uh, an associate pastor, and he uh, took his life a couple of weeks ago. And uh, we've seen this. There's been uh, there was an e free pastor that happened uh, as well in the past year. And so, as I began to think about this and and talk, I think sometimes we perhaps don't look at people who struggle with anxiety or depression and have as much openness as we should in the body of Christ. And even this pastor, uh, he would do posts because he was open and honest. He's like, I've always struggled with depression and anxiety. And he was trying to help people understand it and begin more of a conversation about it. But even when he had a post about that, and he's a pastor, and he still goes into a counselor to get part of that brokenness in his life worked on, uh, people would just reply, well, if you had Jesus, you wouldn't have these issues. But the thing is, I wouldn't type that to a diabetic and say, well, you've come to know Christ, you don't need to get insulin anymore. <laughs> I wouldn't tell somebody to not go get chemotherapy. I'd say, we're going to pray with everything, but if God uses medicine to heal you, that's what we're going to do. So I think in that area, we want to be a church that says, hey, if you're struggling that with that, we want to come alongside you spiritually. But sometimes you need more than just the spiritual help. You also need the wisdom of doctors and medicine to help you with that part of your body or the, that's struggling with the brokenness in this world. And uh, as we look at the theology of rest, I think it's important to get a rhythm of rest in our lives because it helps us to deal with those things and, and it helps us to look at ourselves as a whole person and realize that God does. He cares about our thoughts, our worries. I mean, if he takes care of the sparrows, he's going to take care of us. But we're a community, and so I just want to encourage you that we can be open about that, talk about it, wrestle with it together. And uh, we don't need to live, as Dan said so well, we do not need to live in fear. And so 
In revisiting this rest this morning, we want to uh, celebrate God's design and, and uh, for our glory. And, and you know what really originally happened to the theology of rest in the Bible? Well, what do we see is Jesus walked around doing ministry. One of the biggest things he had to address was the attacks of him on what he did on the Sabbath, right? They were always saying, you can't heal, you can't do this, you can't pick that little piece of grain up and eat it as you're walking through a field. Um, they had taken this gift of rest by God and hundreds of rules just layered on top of it. It began with a desire to help people, you know, we want to help people follow this and get the blessing, but it became a system of rules and pretty soon that burden just grew. They just keep heaping on the burden of here's what rest looks like. And uh, today we're going to be in Hebrews chapter 4. And in Hebrews chapter 4, we're going to get a, a little picture, uh, a framework uh, for the biblical boundaries and understand what, when we work inside these boundaries, not little rules, but concepts that the Lord gives us about rest, then we can truly be blessed and we can enjoy um, some of that taste of what God has for us and avoid this uh, pitfall of um, what we do whenever we try to make rest into some legal procedure. And so looking at Hebrews uh, chapter 4, the book of Hebrews is, uh, we don't know for sure who the author is, but a lot of it is just addressing this idea that Christ is supreme. And uh, they're writing to uh, believers who are being persecuted, uh, encouraging, the author encourages them, hold on to your faith. Don't let go, don't fall to the wayside, um, don't give up. But in doing so, he walks through and uh, really walks through and shows how, okay, the old system is gone, the new has come, and the new is better in Jesus Christ. And so with that kind of setting and background, uh, he talked about Jesus being better than Moses and the rest for the people of God. And we come to chapter 4, and it says, Therefore, while the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us fear, lest any of you should seem to have failed to reach it. For good news came to us, just as to them, but the message they heard did not benefit them because they were not united by faith with those who listened. For we who have believed enter that rest, as he has said, as I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. That's a quote from Psalms. And although his works were finished from the foundation of the world, uh, for he has somewhere spoken of the seventh day in this way, and God rested on the seventh day from all his works. And again, this, in the passage, he said, they shall not enter my rest. Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter it because of disobedience, again he appoints a certain day, today saying through David, so long afterwards in the words already quoted, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And so uh, he begins to point them to this idea that, you know, the Israelites came out and they, they were to enter the promised land. They began to grumble, and they didn't trust the Lord, and so they wandered in the desert 40 years. And the, the promised land was to be a time of rest and peace in the, in the land of milk and honey and uh, a gift for the Israelites. And yet, there was also this promise of an eternal rest. There's a taste of rest here on earth, and yet there is a rest that is yet to come that he's pointing to here. And here we see, he says, we have heard the good news and the good news is this, and that is that Jesus Christ 
has died on the cross. He has paid the penalty for our sins, and we no longer have to be saved by works. We are saved by faith in Jesus Christ, so that no man can boast. And so part of that rest is resting and trusting that the work of Jesus Christ is complete. There's no longer this work of, uh, by faith, delivering the sacrifices and coming and following all of the things God had laid. He laid all of those things to show that there could be a once and for all payment and atonement for sin. And so he's saying, first off, to enter into God's rest, we need to believe and cling to the good news, which is the gospel. We need to trust in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we need to trust that um, God is in control of our salvation. And as we look at this and we understand this, uh, it's that difference in we trust the gospel, it's our justification. We are in heaven. Our names are written down. And yet there's another process of sanctification or spiritual growth that's happening. God is growing us. And so, so many of these things we see in Scripture, such as rest, it's a, it's a concept that we, we can taste of now. It gives us a glimpse of heaven, that eternal rest that is yet to come. And yet, it also gives us the opportunity to look and long for heaven and to long for the rest that is to come, to long for the rest that is promised to us. And so... In verse 9, he continues and he says, So then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God. For whoever has entered God's rest or salvation has also rested from his works, as God did from him, from his. That word Sabbath has this idea of ceasing or stopping. The, the idea that you, you stop and, and God ceased. He chose to stop on that seventh day before um, the law was written before the Ten Commandments. He entered into rest. Uh, not that he needed rest, but as an example for us. He stopped his creating work at that time, showing us a rhythm that would be best for our lives and, and for following him. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that rhythm as we move along. Um, in Matthew eleven twenty-eight to 30, uh, we talked about earlier this year, but it's come... Jesus says, come to me, all you who are work and who are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. And it says, for the Lord is gracious and merciful. And that whole idea is that Jesus is inviting us to come to him. Come to him for salvation, to, to share his yoke, for his yoke is easy and his burden is light. And he, he has taken on sin for us. But he also wants to come alongside us and take those burdens that you have and walk alongside you in your life, step by step, allowing your burdens to come on him. And that yoke allows you to share them and, and walk together with Christ. And that's how rest really begins, is coming to Jesus Christ. And so as we look at this, uh, what struck me here, as I read this, he's talking about rest and entering rest and the good news and how people have failed to enter it because we're impatient throughout history. The people of God have been impatient. And then in verse 11, he says this. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. He says, let us strive to enter that rest. It takes effort the idea of striving, working towards, being intentional about entering rest. 
and moving into it. It's this active sense of not earning your rest, but by participating in the rest God offers us. It's there for the taking, but we have to pursue it. And so rest is an intentional pursuit. And I love the idea of it being intentional. You see, if you think about it, uh, I go to the Y down here, and uh, I go to work out. And there's some people who I see there who show up, and, and they kind of meander from machine to machine, and then, you know, turn on the screen and just, you know, pedaling, I don't know, half a mile per hour, mile per hour, just kind of sitting there watching TV, and I'm wondering, and then wander to another machine, but then there are others who have a plan, and they go in, and they're intentional about it. I'm going to do this many sets. I need to burn this many calories, go for this long, and make my heart rate go to this uh, level so that I actually get a good workout in. There's a difference between those two workouts. Both of them showed up, and both of them would walk out and say, yeah, I just worked out. But one of them did it intentionally and had more of a benefit from it. And the other kind of keeps going and wonders, why isn't there any change? I think... Some of that is the way we handle scripture sometimes. We, we read the truth and we see it and then we, we move on, but we're not really intentional about applying it to our lives. And that's the danger that we can get in, especially in the United States, of coming and gathering information every week. But if we're not leaving here as sent people applying it, then we aren't going to see the transformation we so much desire because transformation is unleashed through obedience to God's word. That's why I wanted to revisit this this morning. For some of you, it's the first time you're hearing this. And so I want to give us a framework for rest, a framework for rest. And so at the top of this framework, we have this idea of rhythm. Rest begins with rhythm. Our life is full of rhythms. And uh, right now, there's a a natural rhythm going on, two of them, in fact. Uh, The first one is your heart's beating. That rhythm stops, then you're going to enter into the eternal rest. But there's rhythm to life, and God has designed life like that, hasn't he? There's just this rhythm to the world he has created. We have seasons that ebb and flow in different ways, depending on where you live. There's a rhythm to God's creation. Rhythm is built into everything, migrations. There's a rhythm to even uh, reproductive patterns of animals and movements, and, and there's even a rhythm right now to your breathing, And much like working out, you're going to walk around and you're going to breathe. Unless you have some sickness, you're going to breathe. But as I've shared with you before, if you stop and you breathe intentionally, science keeps telling us that that has a powerful effect. So athletes today are doing that before they go out in the football field. Performers stop and do intentional breathing. Now we have whole classes and ways of thought around it. Some of it's tied in with things that aren't necessarily helpful, but the base is our bodies, when we stop and intentionally think about our breathing, get a benefit from that and even calm our spirit and our nerves. And so it's about this idea of intentionally pursuing God's design for God's glory. And so when we look at this idea of rhythm, our world has quite a bit of a a different thought about it and and. I've gone to different books, and I've been amazed at kind of this new influx of information, people studying rest and corporations looking at rest and the benefits of taking a break during the day, even getting up and going around taking a walk. 
getting your blood flowing or, or going and doing something else active and getting your mind on that for a while. And then this problem you had, all of a sudden uh, you're doing something active and resting away from your work and then you have an aha moment. Oh, wow, this is great. <laughs> but see, we, we've messed up this rhythm. We just work, 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 collapse, then go back. And even our vacations aren't becoming restful anymore. You, just, you work to get your vacation planned, and then you step into vacation, and you get back, and I don't know, it, it, you're not really refreshed. And they, it seems like the only word aholic that we celebrate in our whole nation is workaholic. We think that's a good thing, but all the other aholics, we say, you need help. And we wear it like a badge of courage. And one of the things that has caused is this idea of presentism. Uh, in other words, you're present at work, but that's about it. You show up, you clock in, but uh, with all of these things that can distract us online, if you were to track, and they have tracked with different studies, the productivity of workers, and then five minutes becomes 10, becomes 20, becomes an hour a day, and either just looking at different news websites or playing a game or... Um, just checking your social feeds and they say presentism has caused quite a bit of money loss and the Harvard study said about 100 billion dollars a year uh, is being lost in revenue because of a lack of focus at work and then there's another 150 million being lost from absenteeism Uh, people who um, come to work but they're not there at all and these numbers um, tell us a story and they tell us that you know what we can go a long time at a low level and just kind of exist without not everybody's going to just crash and burn because you don't get rest we can actually go quite a long time without good rhythms of rest in our lives without having it make us crash and burn but but we're really not thriving at all You know, in a lack of of rhythm of rest, it's been shown that when you keep going and going and going, it decreases and lowers your capacity for crisis. And that's why when some people get something that hits them, boom, everything gets wiped out because they have no capacity, no stores reserved. They're emotionally worn out and can't handle it. And that's marriages begin to crash and fall, relationships, uh, people begin to hit the wall, stuffing things down to be on the verge of breaking Um, But studies are showing that if you understand this concept of consistent rhythm of rest uh, as best you can, it helps a person to re-engage, it protects families, it increases productivity. And, you know, a lot of companies don't have this commodity of being able to offer a lot more money to people. But what they're discovering is with a new generation, they're saying, what we can give you is the benefit of more time, time with your family and a different structure for your work life. And more and more people are choosing time, that gift of time over money, because that's a greater commodity in our culture. You see, God even understood this. He understood this rhythm, and every seven years, he would say, you need to stop working on that land because that land needs to rest, and that will be more fruitful for you if you give it a year of rest from farming and plowing. So rhythm is very important, and rest begins with the understanding of rhythm. Even in the very beginning of creation, in the book of Genesis, it says at the end of each 
movement, it says, and there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And that's the idea of we go from rest to work. Evening, rest, morning to work. In our culture today, it's, and there was work all day, and then there was night, and you collapsed, and then there was work the next day. We're, we're working until we have to rest instead of working from a point in a place of rest and refreshment. And so it's this rhythm, and it's different than how we live. Jesus embraced this. Uh, to a large degree, he showed us, and we'll talk about that in a little bit with another step we take, but he did have a rhythm that you'd see just these bylines in the gospel, and Jesus stepped away and prayed. Jesus went to a place of solitude and spent time with the Lord. And so Jesus valued that. He valued stepping away. And so you might say, well, what day, how long, how often? Give us a checklist to do. But what I've come to learn is that different seasons of life have different rhythms. And that's why I say rhythm, because I want you to find your rhythm. And often you're going to get in a rhythm and then you're going to have to reset because summer is here if you have kids or because uh, you have kids entering into different extracurricular activities or you may have a rhythm of working nights or days or there may be other things impinging upon your life. And the idea is to stop and to think and to stop and say, what would it look like to have a Sabbath in this time, in this moment? What does it look like to try and find a time with the Lord daily? What can that rhythm be? And maybe it's starting off with, okay, I'm going to find a half a day to apply this um, in the next two weeks. I'm going to try and find a half a day to apply what we're going to talk about here. Or it could be... um, Saying we're going to set aside one full day a month as a family and do it as a family or as an individual. Or it could be that you're in the midst of a season, and we'll talk about this, where you have to look even further out to find that rhythm of rest. And so what do we do with that rhythm once we find it? Once we say, you know what, we're going to be intentional, we're going to pursue rest, we're going to try and find times where we can be with the Lord daily, times where we can get with Him maybe weekly or bi-weekly, and even have more times where we have a chunk of time off with our vacation time. Well, how do we use that most effectively? Well, if we uh, move around here, we see that the first one is enjoyment. Enjoyment is a good thing. It's a gift from God. God is the giver of good gifts. And God wants us to enjoy his creation and to enjoy it. And we read in the Psalms, it says, take delight in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Psalm 43, then I will go to the altar of God. To God, my joy and my delight, I will praise you with the lyre. Oh, my God, my God, I will praise you. First Timothy uh, six seventeen. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He provides us with everything for our enjoyment. He is a good God. And we call that the common grace of God, that he allows everyone, those who uh, worship him and those who are not worshiping, to enjoy pieces of this world he created, right? We know that. So I wonder, what, what do you find delight in? What relaxes you? What fills your tank? What is something that you do that just gives you that enjoyment in life? Uh, what is something you do that re- refreshes you? 
And I think there's a danger here and a warning I would give, and that is um, we're in the Western world, and sometimes we can equate enjoyment with stuff. Like, okay, I would love to enjoy things, especially our younger generation. You'd love to enjoy things, but we say, I need more. <laughs> I need this, this, and this. I need a phone. I need this program. I'd have more fun if you'd buy this for me. And we can even do that as adults. I need this toy, this thing, and then I'll be happy, and then I can relax. But trust me, I've been, if this is truly a theology of rest, and all of this is true, then it should apply in Africa and in the Dominican Republic. And I've been there, and they know how to enjoy God and take a day off and rest and enjoy, even though they don't have all this stuff. Isn't that amazing? So enjoyment's really about our soul and enjoying things, and sometimes we get to enjoy it with things we bought or things we can do because we're in a Western, first-world country. But it's not 100% necessary. And so... For us, enjoyment and delight is done with God and for God. And there's a lot more that could be said on enjoyment, but it's okay to recreate and to find things you enjoy. And as always, we want to take that, and, and if we go to one extreme in the West, we often can, and we can become so full of enjoyment that Sundays fall to the wayside, and we're Sabbathing all the time and not even being with the people of God. Welcome to Colorado. <laughs> always something to do that's fun on the weekend. And yet, it's not where our delight ends. You see, in Psalm 112, there's something else that we're to delight in. And it's all over Scripture. It says, Great are your works, O Lord. They are pondered by all who delight in them. Psalm uh, uh, 112, verse 1 says, Praise the Lord. Blessed are those who fear him, who find great delight in his commands. The entire chapter of Psalm 119 Uh, Here's what it says, but it's all about this. It says, I delight in your decrees, Lord. I will not neglect your word. Your statutes are my delight. They are my counselor. And so at the bottom there, we see stop for solitude and silence. Three S's, but all of them are key. You see, part of our uh, understanding of rest is indeed stopping, but it's stopping to be with the Lord. It's including him in what we do and in our lives. He's not just this separate piece of the pie. He's involved in everything. So even when we're enjoying and enjoying recreation, we can do it in a way that acknowledges that God gave us that gift. And it's really a heart change and a perspective change, but it's pretty important. It's inviting God along with you and just saying, you know, God, I thank you I'm out here for the day and just enjoying the beauty of your creation. Thank you for this gift at this moment. And you may verbalize that or think it or help your kids to see that. Say, hey, didn't we have a good time today? Well, let's thank the Lord for that because he, he was happy that we had a good time. So often we just point out the Lord whenever we say, you broke this commandment. <laughs> but let's remind our kids and, and our grandkids, hey, all of this came from the Lord. He's a good God. Look at what the gift he gave us of this time together, this enjoyment of this trip together. And yet, we need to stop and cease. But stopping and ceasing isn't popular. If you watch the NFL at all, there's a guy that's really not popular now, Andrew Luck. He, he came into the season, was tired of injuries, tired, and he just said, I just have to stop. I retire. Last year, Vontae Davis, a defensive back for the Bills, went out, played a game, and at halftime, he said, I'm done. I'm mentally worn out. I'm tired. I have no motivation. 
Coach, I'm retiring. And he left the locker room at halftime. <laughs> and they just did a follow-up story on him this week. And he's healthy and just so happy. He said, I, I didn't want to be addicted to painkillers just to live for this game. So he said no to that lifestyle and to all they were pushing him to do. And he stopped. And he said people were so harsh with him and so hard on him for making that decision. And we can be hard on one another, and usually it's mainly we're hard on ourselves for, for stopping. <laughs> and disciples were hard on Jesus when he was taking a nap on a boat. They're like, how can you nap? A storm's coming. And he's just resting. <laughs> We need to cease, and whenever we cease, that's really acknowledging that we believe God is sovereign and in control, saying, God, you've got this, I trust you. And one of the biggest problems with enjoyment and stopping for solitude and silence is control, and we want to control everything. We say, God, if I let go of this, it's not going to get done. That plate is going to crash. I've got to run around and keep the plate spinning. But sometimes God is saying, you know what? Let that plate crash and see what happens. See if I'm not bigger than that. If the world keeps spinning when you turn your phone off for an hour or for a day, the messages will still be there. Nothing big is going to happen. Occasionally it might, but you'll recover pretty quickly and deal with it. But... The power of unrushed time with God and delighting in his word. The question is, do we delight in his word? Do we actually desire our relationship with God and time with him? I I don't know. If if I got married to Rachel and I said, I'm going to check in with you once a week, maybe once a day, see what you have to say, but then not really interact at all, she wouldn't think that there's much of a relationship there. (laughs) Yeah, sometimes that's how we treat God. If you have a relationship, you invest in it. You spend time together. Spend time hearing from his word, but stopping and listening as well. And praying. And getting away in silence and solitude. See, there's power in resting with God. And when we're resting so often on vacation, it can be like, I'm resting from everything, and man, I didn't have time to get in the word. I'm like, well, we don't rest apart from God. We don't rest from God. We rest with God. God in our lives and we stop and spend time with him in this amazing gift of silence and being disconnected from a device of any kind helps us to eliminate that distraction and hurriedness in our lives even if it's for a half an hour or an hour or even 15 minutes a day where you're really concentrated start to try and stop and find solitude even if it's once a week try to find time with Jesus You won't regret it. But the question that underlies this here in Hebrews 4 is, do you really desire to spend time with God and to enjoy Him? Now, this is where I wanted to share this today because I I studied all this, but I never really realized that verse 12 was connected in a passage on rest because usually we just preach verse 12 on its own. For the Word of God is living and active. Sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from its sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. So embedded in this idea of rest, in talking about entering God's rest, it's the very word of God. And where we're quiet, and we stop, and we're enjoying God, Our hearts soften, and the Word of God penetrates deeply. (laughs) 
It exposes our sinfulness, but it also grows us and begins to speak to us in new ways and, and begins to minister to our deepest needs where we remember promises that we forget in the midst of the struggles of life. And so perhaps that's why other believers would avoid this time with God, I think. Sometimes we don't want to stop because when you're with God and when the Word's truly working and the Holy Spirit... Look at verse 13. Nothing is hidden from his sight. When you are with God, sometimes it's hard to have that. You realize where you're falling short or where you need to grow, and it can be uncomfortable, an uncomfortable place to be, because then God may ask you to obey or change something about your life or take a different direction. And sometimes I think we can try and avoid that, uh, avoid the discomfort of being faced with our own brokenness and sinfulness. And so as we look at that, it's, it's interesting that ceasing from work to have solitude with Jesus leaves us exposed. It exposes us to see what is vital, but it will also expose idols in our life that are becoming more important than Christ, that are robbing our affections for him. That's one of the reasons we need that time, that rhythm of being with him. So that not only we can recreate, but he can recreate our souls and continue to make us a new creation in him. And produce the fruit of the Spirit. And so quantity time with Jesus leads to quality time with Jesus. If you want quality time with the Lord, then consistently spend time with the Lord. Because not every time it's like, whoa, this passage is amazing. But, oh, Lord, you really spoke to me, inspired me. But no, time with the Lord consistently softens our heart. And we have those breakthroughs in life. It's important to get away. And the world, once again, acknowledges this. Dwight Eisenhower in the middle of World War II would go and get in a cabin in Europe and, and he would go away from the theater of operations and it was called Telegraph Cottage and only his aide and a couple people knew about it. Shop talk, strictly forbidden. He needed that time to go back and to have a fresh perspective on the, the leadership he needed to provide in the midst of war. But the problem is sometimes we're so comfortable we don't think we're in the midst of a war and we don't need this time, but we are. The greatest thing Satan can do is convince us that there's no battle going on for people who aren't here this morning in this neighborhood, but even for your children, and even just for your own saltiness and your impact on the world around you. It'd be better if we were distracted. And distraction addiction is plaguing our ability to seek solitude. So we have to disconnect in order to connect with God. And what we're talking about here this morning is not self-care. It's allowing God to care for you by taking a moment and realizing that to be with Jesus and be reminded that for God, there are no mysteries to him. There are no unknowns. Nothing you're facing or will ever face surprises God or is outside of his dominion and control. Sometimes resting reminds us that, yeah, this world is a lot bigger than me. I'm so thankful that God has it. So do we desire like Mary to stop? In that story of Mary and Martha, Mary stopped and she was at the feet of Jesus worshiping him. And Martha was busy doing all of these good things. And Jesus said, Mary has chosen the better thing today because I won't be here much longer. She's sat at my feet. I wonder how much we get busy, especially in a church plant, of doing things but don't sit at God's feet. 
And our final T there is to take heart. And I've shifted this. When I taught this in January, I said, have a thankful heart. But then even over the last few weeks and months, I realized, take heart. Because there are times when this is a great model, but the rhythm of life, caring for someone who's sick, being deployed, having night shift problems at work, or just a season of life you're in, and you literally, you can't let the plates fall because there's no option. It's just what life has provided in this broken world. And yet, that doesn't make the theology any less true. So what do we do in those times? What do you do when you live in a country where recreation, how can you recreate? You might die the next day. <laughs> where you're facing persecution, your family's just abandoned you. Well, you may not have the enjoyment, but you can stop and be with Jesus. You can find time with Him. And when you do, you'll be able to take heart. Remember, we talked about this last week. If you're here, we said, I have said these things to you that you may, be in my, you may have my peace, and in the world you will have trouble, tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Take heart. We talked about that. This is like a great review session this morning. We had a whole series after Easter on heaven for those who are here. Take heart. Heaven is our home. Take heart. Rest is coming. It will come. Don't get overwhelmed by this world. God has overcome it. And at some point, she may just be, Lord, I am exhausted. All I can do is just stop. Stop and actually imagine heaven for a little bit. Allow yourself to imagine the delight of heaven. To give you a little energy and a, a little bit of hope. And a little bit of thankfulness. Rest is a reminder that our life is a day-by-day, hour-by-hour trust in the promises of God to help us and guide us, to care for us and to bring us into a future of holiness and joy that will completely satisfy us. Even our best enjoyment on earth right now is falls short, always leaves you wanting a little bit more, desiring something a little bit better. But at least God gives us a taste for that. And His joy will satisfy our hearts infinitely more than if we forsake Him and put ourselves in a place of trusting this world. You see, Tim Keller says this, Jesus gives us rest to restore the diminished, replenishing the drained, and repairing the damaged. So when we pursue this, even though we're not going to hit the mark every time, if you're feeling diminished, you can be restored. Feeling drained, you can be replenished. Sometimes that takes quite a while if you've been running really hard. Then he repairs the damaged. Those who are damaged by this world, damaged by disease and sickness. He, he works in our deepest and darkest places. At the end of Hebrews, uh, in Hebrews 12, the author says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. We are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. <laughs> That's reason enough to rest in the Lord. I'd, I'd encourage you to take a moment, just think through your schedule right now and, and leave your hands open to God. Don't cling to things. Just say, Lord, what areas do I need to spend time with you? 
Am I not enjoying things? Am I not leading my family into that? And just put things at his hand, open hand and say, Lord, whatever it is you got us into, we're going to trust you with it. And strive for that rest. Uh, you won't regret it, and it's hard, and we need to encourage one another in it. But there is hope for us. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you, and we know that you are the giver of all good and perfect gifts. And first and foremost, we have to humble ourselves before you and delight in your word and in being with you. So many things rob our affection and our attention and seem so urgent. And yet, may we be intentional about our time with you and stopping and ceasing from creating and doing and just realize that we are beings created for a relationship with you. That's the core of all of life. It's a relationship with you. And in the midst of that, thank you for the enjoyment and the time that we do get. And I thank you for Sunday mornings. And people tell me it's a time of work for me, but it's really an enjoyment to be amongst your people. And even when life is struggling, it's, there's a, a benefit of enjoying one another and just getting that strength from one another. And I don't know where everyone at this morning or what they're struggling with or what aspect, but I do know that this is a gift from you and that the people of God and the Israelites missed out and people throughout history have missed out on being with you, praying, growing, impacting the world because we're so busy. So may we embrace this and live this out and find a rhythm. And then when that rhythm gets messed up by the world and by our schedules, stop and say, okay, it's time to reset. Let's, let's get another rhythm, but let's keep striving to spend time with the Lord. Let's keep finding enjoyment in Him and going against our whole culture saying more, more, work harder, more. Let's go against the culture and live differently and show that there's a complete trust that God is in control. In Jesus' name, amen.